quite the middle, partway through a series on the Gospel of Mark. And um, I have the, the joy of sharing Mark chapter 2, verse 1 to chapter 3, verse 6. And you'll hear us say many times, we're not going to go through verse by verse because there's a lot of verses there. Um, but you'll capture the flavour of it and we encourage you to follow um, it up in your own reading and your own meditation as we go through. Um, I actually thought that today um, it was very helpful that we're looking at the Gospel of Mark because the Gospel of Mark is like the foundational document or writing about the Christian movement, about Jesus when he came and set up the church. And so a great movement which has impacted history, probably the greatest movement in the history of the world, um, we captured both the origin but also the principles and the purposes um, of the faith that we're part of. It's interesting that um, when the Gospel of Mark was written, the number of Christians in the world was relatively small, but today there's something like 2.6 billion people who claim to be adherents of the Christian faith when you talk about the world population that we have. And so I want to talk about movements of people today. And Jesus' movement was critical, but I was also interested to know about the Boys and the Girls Brigade. And I can rush over a little bit of this because you've heard some of this already, but the Boys and Girls Brigade are one branch of the greater Christian movement. For the Boys Brigade, um, you started in 1883 when a Sunday school teacher in Scotland named William Alexander Smith was worried because his boys were playing up in Sunday school and so he decided to teach them about Jesus and how to be better people by starting the very first Boys Brigade. Um, it spread quickly and it was introduced in Australia um, in 1890-91 when the first company, sorry, in 1890-91 a company was formed in Melbourne and it spread quickly to the other colonies of um, Australia. The origin, the purpose, uh, the purpose of the Boys Brigade from the Boys Brigade site says this, is to provide in cooperation with the local church a supportive Christian community for boys and young men to assist in their Christian growth, balance personal development and leadership training and assist the church in reaching out into the community. So Brigade is a very vital part of the Christian movement around the world. And similarly for Girls Brigade. Girls Brigade, it started a little bit later. Um, the Girls Brigade started in 1893 in Ireland in the Sandy Mount Presbyterian Church in Dublin, led by a lady called Margaret Little. Her desire was to help girls to discover a personal Christian faith and was at the heart of the innovative mission. Innovative mission. Their way of expressing this was in their motto to the establishment of Christ's kingdom amongst girls. And when I checked the Girls Brigade site, the aim of Girls Brigade here in Queensland says this, helping girls become followers of the Lord Jesus Christ through self-control, reverence and a sense of responsibility to find true enrichment of life. And so when we talk about the Girls Brigade and the Boys Brigade, if we really want to go back to the origin and the purpose, we go back to the Christian movement in the time of Christ. And so when we're talking today about Mark's Gospel, chapter 2, verse 1 through to 3, verse 6, I want you to think about it as the movement that Jesus started that has impacted all of our lives. 
Pastor Dave Luthy, who's on leave at the moment, he led us through the first two messages. And so the very foundation of those first two messages was, first of all, we saw who Jesus Christ was. And you might remember we talked about him as the creator, the Messiah, the Son of God. But then we saw how Jesus was calling people to follow him, calling disciples. And we saw how in that early part of Jesus' ministry, popularity exploded. He was like the, um, the craze of people wanting to see him, to see what he was doing, to see the miracles that he was doing. And we saw how very quickly he came to prominence in the community that he was. But you know, in any movement, it's not all glamour, it's not all easy, it's not all popular. And so when we come to our passage today in Mark chapter 2 verses 1 to 3 verse 6, we actually see um, opposition starting to rise. And so following Jesus has never been easy because there will be opposition that rises against it. Jesus is still doing miracles. He is doing amazing things. There are still people flocking, want to seeing him. In 2 verses 1 to 12, we see him heal the paralytic who was lowered down through the roof of the building. In verse 13 and 17, we see him calling not just the nice people of society, but the sinners and the tax collectors to follow him. Um, we see that he is breaking some of the social rules instituted by the religious leaders of the day and there's questions about fasting and eating in the Sabbath. And we see him healing a man with a withered hand. Now, Jesus came with compassion. He reached out and saw the needs of people. But his mission was not to do the spectacular. It was to preach the word of God. And so we see now as we stop back and we think about the foundations of our Christian movement, um, we love to be popular. We love to be held in good favour. But we need to be true to the mission that God has called us to. Um, and that's our experience in the world today. Um, in the world today, in many parts of the world, the Christian church is growing rapidly. In Australia, we seem to be getting more and more opposition but you know, there's never been a better time for the church of Jesus Christ to grow in Australia than today. The opportunities are great and the opposition will be strong. And so we are called, as Mark writes to us and tells us of our Lord Jesus' example, to commit ourselves to follow him. Not to be taken away by what's easy, but to be committed firmly to him. Let me give you an example. And so um, the, the passage that I want to take with some more depth is Mark chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. But you'll see how it fits into the series. This is where Jesus heals the paralytic. If you have a Bible, you might like to open it or watch on the screen as we go through. This is how it goes. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. It's almost like a concert's come to town and everybody's got to be there. Some men came bringing to him a paralysed man carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralysed man, Son, 
your sins are forgiven. Now, some of the teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their own hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to this paralysed man? Your sins are forgiven or to say, get up, take your mat and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And so he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. He got up, took his mat and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone and they praised God saying, we've never seen anything like this. See, in this passage, Jesus was fulfilling his mission. He was establishing the church to follow God. Um, He went back to his hometown in Capernaum. He went to a house with his friends. He wasn't there to put on a show. He wasn't going to run a workshop in signs and wonders, even though the people were coming to follow and see what he was doing. It says to us very clearly at the beginning of the passage that we just read that um, he came again and the people heard that he had come. They gathered and he was there to preach the word to them. Jesus had a message that he needed to convey to the people. And in one sense, the crowds of people were distracting from the message that he had. And so you can imagine the situation where this paralysed man with his friends come hoping for healing. His friends must have deeply cared for this man because when they came and saw the crowd, they didn't give up. And in those days, the houses were more likely made out of mud with a flat roof where you could go up and stand on the roof and it was like a thatch mud type of thing and so they actually went to the roof of the house dug through the roof so that they could lower their front their friend down right where Jesus was the only way that they could bring him there now Jesus's reaction is interesting isn't it Jesus wasn't um, really upset because it disturbed what he was doing because we tells us time and time again that Jesus had compassion. And when he saw the need and when he saw the faith of those who brought them, he had compassion on him. And this is where Jesus' mission is really in contrast to the popularity that he was experiencing in that time. Because his mission wasn't really to come and heal the sick. He healed the sick because he had compassion on people and he reached out to their needs. But his mission was to preach the gospel and the gospel was about the forgiveness of sins. And so when this man is lowered, Jesus says to him, "Um, I forgive you your sins. The popular crowd was wondering, that's not what we came to see. And yet it was the very heart of what God wanted to do. And so when, when he said that and he knew that the Pharisees were starting to think, imagine being with Jesus where he knew what you thought, not just what you said, and he addresses what they're thinking and he, he says, to show you that I truly am the Son of God and that I have authority, he actually healed him from his disease as well as forgave him his sins. 
You see, Jesus' mission was always about salvation, about saving people from their need for forgiveness of sin. And in the rest of the New Testament, we read that time and time again. Ephesians 1.7, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin in accordance with the riches of God's glory. 1 John 1, 1.9 says that we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. And so to be a follower of Jesus, it's not about going along with the crowd, it's about hearing his message and following him and recognising that there might be opposition or there will be opposition that will seek to take us away from the truth that the Son of God came to this world to save a lost mankind so that we can be in relationship with God. Now you'll be glad to know I'm not going to go through each of the passages like this but let me just touch them and I want you to notice that in this section of Mark's Gospel the opposition is growing in force time and time again. After this event of the paralysed man, Jesus goes and calls Levi, the tax collector, and he goes and has a meal with Levi and his friends who were sinners. The Pharisees who were only thinking, what is Jesus saying, then start to get more opposition. And so they ask this question, why does he, that's Jesus, eat with tax collectors and sinners? And the reason was that Jesus came to save the entire world. And so Jesus' response is, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. The passage goes on then to talk about eating and fasting. And you know, the Pharisees who were the religious leaders of the day thought that they could earn recognition with God they could earn merit with God by obeying lots and lots of laws and so they started to attack Jesus and his followers because they saw them as not following the laws that they had set up and so they attacked them attacked them about um, fasting and they said Jesus um, the Pharisees get people to fast to say without food, to show that they're seeking God's attention. And John the Baptist, even his disciples, um, take times where they put aside food so they can concentrate on God. And Jesus says to them, but how can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he's with them? You see, the connection with Jesus was what it's about. And it goes on then and talks about the, the Sabbath, um, because the disciples were picking heads of grain in the field as they went through. And here the Pharisees' voice is getting louder and louder. Look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? And so again, they're attacking Jesus' followers and attacking Jesus because of what they're doing. And verse 27, um, Jesus says back to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is the Lord even of the earth. You see, Jesus calls us to follow him. In his earthly ministry, he was calling people to follow him. And to follow him was costly because there will be opposition and people who tell us that we're doing the wrong things. The opposition gets worse in chapter 3 and verse 1 to 6. By the time we get to this point, Jesus is still preaching the gospel. He's going around to the synagogues and the Pharisees and those who are trying to undermine his message are deliberately setting traps to get him into trouble. And so when we read in that passage there, we find that they put a man with a withered hand right in, the, in front of Jesus in the synagogue. 
and hoping that he might heal him in the synagogue so that they could then charge him with breaking the Sabbath laws. And so Jesus asked them this question. Jesus never took a back step when people tried to silence him. He said, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? And, you know, most opposition talks loud at times, but when they're confronted, they shut up. Sorry for that word. They be quiet. They, they desist. They don't have the courage to stand up. And so they were absolutely silent. They didn't want to say anything. And then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. You see, the opposition was growing. So this morning, and I'm not going to take too much of our time, but this morning, as we look at Mark's gospel, we see again the call to be followers of him. That's what Boys Brigade's about. That's what Girls Brigade's about. That's what being part of a church family is about. Together, we are seeking to become followers of Christ. And we need to take from our passages today that the message of the gospel is not going to always be popular. But God calls us to have courage as we take a stand and follow him. That's how character is built. That's how virtue is built because we're prepared to stand for what is right. What's it going to look like for us? An example from fairly modern history because down through the centuries we have been called to have the sort of faith which continues to stand true amidst opposition. Um, I want to tell you the story of Dr Martin Luther King Jr. Um, Martin Luther King is a well-known name. He, he was an um, American Baptist preacher who God laid on his heart to make a stand for the people who were prosecuted and persecuted and particularly for people of colour. Um, he received the um, 1964 Nobel Peace Prize for combating racial inequality through non-violence resistance. If you go to Washington today, you can go to his memorial which is a tribute from the nation that he was a man who stood up for what was right. And we know from his own words that he stood up because as a follower of God, he wanted to stand up for what was true and right and recognise God's way. You know, he received opposition right from the beginning. You know, in um, the 1950s, um, he was actually stabbed at a book signing Somebody came in and asked him, are you Dr Martin Luther King? And he said yes, and he stabbed him in the chest with a, um, a paper knife. Um, they said afterwards, or he said in his biography afterwards, that the doctor said that this was touching on his aorta and that if he had sneezed, then he would surely have died because it would have ruptured his aorta. And so they had to open up his chest and to, um, to repair the damage that was there. Um, Martin Luther King um, was a person who believed that God had called him on a mission. He's probably most famous for some of his speeches. Um, one of the ones that you probably heard of is, I have a dream, and um, I can't do this with an American accent, um, but they are moving words, and I've just taken two paragraphs. And this is what he said. This was part of his message. So even though we face the difficulties of today and tomorrow, 
I still have a dream. It's a dream deeply rooted in the American dream. I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal. And then this paragraph, which alludes to the fact that he was not doing this because he thought it was a good idea, but because this was his following of God. I have a dream that one day every valley shall be exalted. Every hill and mountain shall be made low. The rough places will be made plain and the crooked places will be made straight and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together. He was a man whose faith led him to stand up against injustice, to talk about God being the only answer for mankind. And do you know he gave his life doing that? Um, on the April the 4th, 1968, Martin Luther King was assassinated. Do you know that on April the 3rd, one day before he was assassinated, we have the record of his last speech. The mission that God had called him to and prepared to stake even his life upon it. The speech has become known as the mountaintop speech. I've been to the mountaintop. He said this, Well, I don't know what will happen now. We've got some difficult days ahead, but it really doesn't matter with me now because I've been to the mountaintop and I don't mind. Like anybody, I would like to live a long life. Long levity has its place, but I'm not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will. And he's allowed me to go to the mountaintop. And I've looked over and I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you, but I want you to know tonight that we as a people will get to the promised land. And so I'm happy tonight. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. The very next day he laid down his life. But my prayer is that none of us in this building are going to have to lay down our lives for Christ. But that level of commitment that if we're going to put our faith in him, not because it's easy or it's popular or it's expected, but because we hear his message, we accept his call and we follow him with our life. That is what God is calling us for. That's why Girls and Boys Brigade was started, so that boys and girls could hear the message of God wanting to link us into his family. Um, the Gospels are written so that we won't just think it's easy, but the cost of commitment is that we will have that relationship with God that will stand us in this life and the next one to come. And my prayer for all of us online here in this building is that our testimony will be like that of the Apostle Paul in 2 Timothy 4, 7 and 8, that when we come to the end of our earthly journey, we will be able to say... Clearly and without regret, I have fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but to all who have longed for his appearing. Mark describes for us 
the Lord Jesus, who started a movement which has touched every part of the world. Um, it's not a popular movement when you actually come to it. It's a call for us to put our faith in him. And he will guide us and he will provide for us, but he wants us to stand firm. May we do that to his glory. Amen. Let me pray. And the group, the band will come up to lead us for the last songs. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus who never took the easy road but stayed true to the mission, the purpose from which you sent him. Father, we also pray for ourselves, Lord, that as followers of Jesus, we will follow him faithfully and well. In Jesus' name, amen.